The following show will contain spoilers, but trust us, you'll want to hear about it anyway. What is this? Brave move these people. Back. Welcome to Subversive Cinema. Oh my god! I never forget a face. Especially if I'm sad on it. Welcome to the inaugural episode of Subversive Cinema. I'm your host, Art Hall, and I am here to be your purveyor of the peculiar, the nomad wanderer of the weird, and the one who dredges up the dastardly in cinema history. That's right, this podcast is all about the weird, wacky, and the downright wrong entrance in cinema history. We have had movies going on for over 100 years. And invariably, people are going to make some pretty weird stuff. And that happened pretty early on, and it happens to this day. So let's get on with the show. We are going to be talking about the 1991 cult classic direct-to-video, I might add, All-American Murder, starring none other than Christopher Walken, Charlie Schlatter, and Josie Bazet. And to talk about it today with me is none other than Mr. Dan Moore. How are you doing, Dan? Doing well, Art. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Are you happy that I made you watch this movie? Yes, actually. You know what's funny? You first reached out to me and then we talked about it. And when this movie was kind of randomly chosen, I I went into this totally blind. I have never heard of this movie. That's the way it should be. And I'm, I'm assuming that most of the listeners are going to be going in that way as well. So let me break it down a little bit for you and everybody out there. The deal is all these movies that we're going to be talking about in the show are, as I've said, weird, wacky, or just, just wrong, kind of fucked up. But they each have something that I like to call the subversive sauce. It's that, that tang, that spice, that zest that makes this movie something worth watching. Uh, now, a lot of people could debate whether these things are worth watching. I say, yay, they are (laughs) worth watching um, for a variety of reasons. And that's what we're all about here. So today, Dan, we're going to go through a couple different sections of the movie, what the components are. We're going to talk about them and see if we can really determine what is that subversive sauce and how spicy is it for this particular movie. Let me go ahead and break this down. So 1991, All American Murder came out. It took 22 days to film this masterpiece, and it was directed by Anson Williams. That's right, the dude from Happy Days. He made this his his first directorial debut for a feature film, and maybe he just should have stayed in Happy Days. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There's a lot of lore that goes around this in in the fact that it was up to him, not the cinematographer, to add the obscene amount of Dutch angles in this. Oh, uh, he pushed for these weird sex scenes, things that weren't necessarily in the script. Um, and really, though, the crown jewel achievement of this movie is arguably the, the introduction of Christopher Walken's character is quite possibly the most Christopher Walken you'll ever see Christopher Walken. Um, yep. I'm just going to play a small bit from that. What is this? Right? Move these people. Back. What are you doing? Come on, go home. Watch television. Good guys win. Great to see you again. It's been years, but I never forget a face. Especially if I've sat on it. I love that little mole on her butt, don't you? And how about that sensitive left nipple? 
And what mouth action? I thought jaws only moved that fast in water. A little too much teeth for my taste, but she's learning. You know, Luann likes to make a guy happy more than you do for her, Marco. Marco. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Christopher Walken plays this cop, uh, Decker, and boy, oh boy. Uh, so speaking of Decker, I'd like to lead into the first bit of this, which is characters. Dan, um, what characters stood out to you in this film? Okay, that's so hard to, to just pinpoint. I have to start with the obvious. Well, one of the obvious. Not, I guess maybe not the obvious. I don't know. The lead guy, uh, Artie Arthur. Yeah, Artie Artie Logan. I think it is. Yeah, played yeah. by Charlie Schlatter. Yes, I first saw him on there, and I was like, "Oh, it's the guy from Diagnosis Murder." Yeah, Diagnosis Murder. <laughs> <laughs> when I was younger, that's what my brothers and I used to watch Diagnosis Murder all the time. And he was Jesse on that show. And I never knew the actor's name, unfortunately, for him. But but uh, it was just really crazy to see him starring in this movie from 1991. And he's he's got such an interesting look about him in this movie. I couldn't tell for the entire time he felt like. Like a. a a boy that was dressing up in his dad's clothes or something or in, in a man's clothes or trying to, I don't know. It was very weird. He had the very Peter Pan quality about him where he sounds young, but also every line he delivers is like some kind of quip. Uh, yeah, well, that, that the quip, oh boy, we're going to get to that one. I, I'll tell you what struck me with him. He, he was a low rent Michael J. Fox. Yes. Can you imagine that would be that if this was actually done on a big scale, Michael J. Fox would have played that role in a heartbeat and he would have killed it. But he certainly does like to talk like a hard boiled detective from the 40s. Right. Everything is oh, a quippy yeah. one liner answer. That's it's not an answer. It's just a smart ass retort. Absolutely. Like you're right. He is like a um, it would be like Michael Fox. But then like like, a, you know how there's like the Michael Fox and there's the Jason Bateman. He's like. Yeah. He's like one like below Jason Bateman, and okay, I guess we'll we'll get him. But um, I don't know. I, how did you find all that information regarding like the production of the this movie? Though I I couldn't find anything. I I have my ways, and that's usually <laughs> just IMDb or or combing through old reviews. Um, typically that's they they get a chance to actually talk to some of these people. Um, and, and I tell you what though a wealth of information is going to be coming out. Uh, actually, by the time this airs, it will have already come out on the Blu-ray re-release where they scanned in the original 35 millimeter film and, and mastered it out to 2K. So you can see this and they, <laughs> they updated the colors. They did. Yeah, they're bringing this son of a bitch back with a fury. So make sure you get it on Blu-ray. That might be why it was so hard to track down and watch, actually. But it um, was a little tough to track down. I, mean, I think they they felt that deal out and then they just start pulling it from everywhere. But we're lucky, right? We got to see it in all of the yeah, I am, out there. We'll be lucky. I am I feel really fortunate to have seen this. Like I said earlier, I had never seen this movie before, so everything was a surprise, including the character of Arthur. He was kind of like um he was kind of like the male version of a manic pixie dream girl at the beginning of the movie. He's like artsy fartsy, like smoke cigarettes. He like goes to jail and whatever that thing was in the jail that they were eating from, like a trough, like a feeding trough. He was like making a dinosaur sculpture from it. Like actually, that was one of the first things I noticed. Like, hmm, 
makes a gruel dinosaur. <laughs> yes. <laughs> takes a girl to the cemetery, like quirky, weird, you know, takes the yeah. good girl, the good girl to the cemetery. Yes, exactly. And, and I also <laughs> like the fact that um, he is this very, very, very openly creepy stalker. He does not care oh, about the my. fact that I wrote that here. Yeah, he's like, he's, he's just like this weirdo who just chases after. I mean, look at his art. So he's blamed for torching down a dorm. Then he uh, he makes this gruel dinosaur. His father, who's a judge, gets him out. Then he goes to this new school where he promptly, without any buildup, bangs the dean's wife. And then all of a sudden, he's out on a fucking spiritual quest to find the perfect woman, which is in Tally, who is this seemingly all-American oh perfect blonde who's got some really solid Christian values. Oh, I know. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Yeah, that was all, like, in, in like, the first, like, 20 minutes of the movie, like... I need to, I need to, sorry to cut you, but I just need to mention that because that is right. They, I think it's actually in the first 15, they plow on so much shit in the first like 10 to 15 minutes. I likened it to listening to an audio book at one and a half speed where everything was (laughs) happening so quickly. I wasn't quite sure what was going on. Yes. Oh my gosh. Some of those cuts, like the one you mentioned about where he's just sitting in front of his new college that he just got dumped off at by his dad, I'm assuming. Um, he's sitting there at the front, like on the step, like drawing some really awful drawings, like dragons or something. He's supposed to be a really good artist, but he looks kind of lame. He's drawing some dragons and snickering at all the people on the, like the, in the, um, you know, the field there in front of like the student hall or something. And then like the Dean and is giving like a tour to these like folks behind him. And the Dean's wife, like stops, looks at him and then it cuts and it's like immediately like she's lighting a cigarette after they've just done the dirty. Thing. It's like, who is this guy? Right. Which uh, speaking of the lighting the cigarette right after the, the doing the dirty, I want to play a quick clip just to give everybody a taste because you want to talk about banter of one liners. Oh, these my two God. having a conversation. Yes. It is just nothing but but backfiring of of hard boiled wannabe detective lines. Yeah, it is. It, it really feels like a Spencer Tracy, Catherine Hepburn movie got like churned up into like a concentrated bomb or something. Yes, absolutely. On our marriage certificate, under state you're married in, I wrote depression. Do you want anything with that vodka? Yeah, youth, money, and romance. I meant an ice cube. I live with one. Hair keeps falling in your face. Honey, my face is falling in my neck. Erica, you are such a beautiful woman. I bet you look the same today as you did 10 years ago. 10 years ago, I was 20 years younger. (laughs) (laughs) It is is nothing but you know, he tees it up and she knocks it down. Tees it up yep. and knocks it down. I, I, <laughs> do, does anybody ever talk like this? <laughs> 10 years ago, I was 20 years younger. <laughs> um, so that's the reason enough to love to love Artie. So we, we clearly, we appreciate Artie as a character. I already touched on Decker. Decker is just, <laughs> it's Christopher Walken. If you don't like Decker, I don't know what to do. But I do have one issue with his policing. Sometimes, you know, Decker will be this law-abiding guy who's like all about, you know, tell, he, uh, this will lead into my two other favorite characters, Frank and Lou, the, the cops that yes. are always just at odds with Decker. But Decker is just, he's the one who argues with them about, 
you need solid evidence. You need to do procedure. You need to do this. Yet in the beginning, he fucking elicits a, a, a rational reaction from the guy in the store, shoots him in the knee. Then he's just going gun happy, always fires the gun with one hand in his pocket, by the way. And then, uh, you know, breaks and enters. He sits down on a couch next to a corpse. Clearly no regard yes. for crime scenes. You know, yes. it's, it's oh the magic gosh. of movies. The breaking and entering, that that was like one of the first things I was like, does he have a search warrant to go into Arthur's house there? <laughs> he like raids his fridge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, thanks for the beer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, speaking of all this, I'm back, backing here on the editor, I just need to touch base on the editor, uh, who is Jonas Thaler. And I just want everybody to know he has seven credits to his name as an editor. He is predominantly a production manager. That he has been doing since. He hung up his editing shoes, editing gloves, whatever you want to wear, uh, in 93. So this was his second to last film <laughs> uh, that he edited. Um, this was the editing was a doozy yeah yeah this editing was i was taken off guard several times by jarring cuts or feeling like i was missing context for the next scene that was happening like did i just i don't know i'm trying to think of some examples of this one of them would be the prime example of of cutting from making eye contact with the dean's wife to waking up in bed with her that was a little jarring i don't know if there was something in between there that was intentional. There's one where like uh, Arthur's like told um, you we're going to give you 24 hours kid to prove your innocence. And then like six hours have gone by and he's like running around in the, in the girl's locker room or something, trying to chase down these. Yeah. <laughs> and then they have an entire conversation in the girl's locker room. <laughs> yes. Like it's okay. Yeah. Because the police officer shows up there. Christopher Walken shows up there randomly. Like he showed up in this, in the place, in the strangest places at the strangest time, just to like bail already Ar out of something. Like, I wonder if he's connected to his prophecy character where he's just like sort of got that that magical celestial thing and he just he's there when you need him, you know, but was the security guard was also in the girls locker room out of nowhere, which was really weird. Yeah. OK, that was bizarre, too. The whole thing, they, they, were, they just happened to know that there's some guy in the girls locker room right now. Let's go in and check it out. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> what and what was the what was Christopher Walken's character, detective character even doing there at the time because he showed up. Talked to him, already got him out of that jam and then like kind of disappeared again. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, what you were saying earlier about the, this movie, like I was trying to put it into a type and, and something that was, I, I don't know if this was just because of the quality of the version I was watching, but it felt like I was watching like a, a really dirty, like, murder she wrote episode or something <laughs> <laughs> like a two hour long murder she wrote episode with f-bombs every like other syllable <laughs> really uncomfortable sex scenes and like blatantly gratuitous sex scenes like the scene that bit out of place and you're like but the quality of it and i watched it and it was like this aspect ratio that just like looked like i could have been like turning in tbs at three o'clock in the afternoon or something <laughs> I, uh, I'm going to take a look here at the cinematography of Jeffrey Schaff. And let's see what other sort of, you know, he's been working ever since. Uh, he did do a long stint in TV uh, afterwards. So perhaps, um, yeah, he, oh, he, uh, he really cut his teeth, uh, perhaps, you know, on this one. Yeah. Before uh, moving into things such as Sequest 2032, The Burning oh Zone, gosh. Charmed, and Jack and Jill.
So that's your little factoid for that. Before we move on, as an honorable mention, is this fucking guy here, he, he is my heart and soul. He comes in twice, has something smart <laughs> to say the first time, second time does not disappoint. This is the cop that nobody knows his name. Dick, you're gonna hate my guts, and this will go over about as good as a fart in a phone booth. But we got a double header tonight, buddy. Got a homicide on the Fairfield campus. Suspects in custody. <laughs> that is one of my I favorite favorite <laughs> phrases, turns of phrase for the year. It's gonna go over about as well as a fart in a phone booth. <laughs> yes, I took mental note of that line too, Art. I was like, that is just that is hilarious. The way he just like walks on the scene says his line and then pats him on the shoulder and walks out like yeah it's almost like they took an extra and they said hey look we just need you to come over deliver this line then bounce on out chris he's he's a professional this will work fine <laughs> that that's what that felt like and speaking of christopher walken being a professional what was he doing in this he had already won an oscar <laughs> what happened there's so many there's people in this i don't understand richard kind who is forever in my mind the guy who can't say cartouche without it being very very magnetic from stargate and ever if you ever get a chance watch a supercut of him just saying cartouche numerous times got it richard kind here you got christopher walken as you already mentioned joanna cassidy from uh from who framed roger rabbit a bunch of stuff Mm -hmm. and then obviously charlie schlatter from diagnosis murder yeah but, you know and apparently josie Bizet was in some stuff but i'm not terribly familiar with her work um a lot of television melrose yes. place things like that ah okay i see well there you go they they really pulled out the stops on the talent on this one uh any characters that you wanted to mention before we move on um the dean's wife like, the dean's wife i know we've kind of already talked about her a lot but for some reason every time she was on screen she really stuck out and i don't know if it was because she literally has a quip regarding everything there's like that opening shot where she she and um uh Artie are having their like pillow talk you know and then and then it cuts to whatever happens you kind of forget about her for most of the rest of the movie and then she shows up again like near the end of the movie and she has this like long like um information drop about the dean and their sordid sex life and i don't know but but the most memorable scene for me probably is the one that she's in she's in her car at the end oh. <laughs> and somehow she can't open the car door she can't roll down the window the car won't start something happened to her car to make it just everything stop working and then there's just like this corn snake I don't know what it was. It was a really benign looking snake. <laughs> it did look like a painted garter snake. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's like, oh no, it's in the car. And I can understand being a little freaked out seeing a snake in your car, but she freaks out, can't get out. And the snake then proceeds to like wrap around her neck. And the most bizarre scene probably in the movie, the snake, a little simple, probably benign garden snake wraps around her neck neck and then strangles her to death while Artie's there banging on the glass like no no it was oh, so he gets weird. up banging pretty quick he's like oh, yeah taps, and then he just like ah she's dead <laughs> and then her head falls and hits the horn on the, <laughs> of course. On the steering wheel of yeah. course just i just weird. like the fact that this tiny snake that was no more than three foot long oh my did God. do pull the python and i, I yeah yeah and also i like that the killer clearly had enough mechanical engineering knowledge to figure out how to jerry-rig the car. So once she's in it, she can't open it again. Oh, my God. 
That's just what they do. Uh, a side mention. Uh, I, I thought about Frank and Lou, those two cops, those two kind of yes. mean cops. They were like the burden Ernie of the entire show yes. for me. They felt they finished each other's sandwiches in the best way possible. Yes. You know, it was they were just magical. So <laughs> lots of great characters is the point of this. You know, it, it, to those two police officers, I know I have seen them in so many other TV shows and movies, just like they've they've always popped up and I can't I don't know their names or anything. And I couldn't tell you what other things I've seen them in, but I know I've seen them in just like several other TV shows are even movies and smaller roles. But that's like what this movie felt like to me. I kept seeing people in this movie. They were like, I, I recognize that person from something else. And uh, that's why I was like really surprised. I, I can't wait to learn more about the production of this, why it was made. Well, on the Blu-ray, you'll find at least two or three different 15-minute featurettes that go in depth about the making of. So Okay, I'm looking forward Apparently, to there's at least 30 to 45 minutes worth of stories for that. Okay. So speaking of stories, let's talk about the story itself. We've already touched on it a bit, but let's let's see, does, does the story make any sense? Okay, so we already covered, yeah. we got Artie, who is a troublemaker, framed for arson, dad's a judge who inexplicably keeps, you know, bankrolling his fuck up son to keep going to colleges. I don't know why. I guess it's keeping up appearances. We don't really get that far into the character of the judge and why he's doing what he's doing. So Artie goes to this new school, bangs the dean's wife, falls in love with Tally, who's this born-again Christian, perfect girl. Next thing you know, she's set on fire, and then they think <laughs> he's the one who did it because he was busy running for help. God knows that there wasn't the smell of gasoline, a gasoline can, any matches, or any sort of high incendiary device on him, yet fuck it, we're going to go ahead and throw the book at this kid. So then he goes about trying to preserve his justice and prove it by doing the job the cops can't do, apparently. And uh, throughout that, the bodies start piling up. You learn some more stuff about the Dean and how people aren't quite what they think they, you know, they seem to be. And then boom, big surprise, everybody. She's the killer. What the fuck? Right. Um, so how about you, Dan? That story makes sense to you. Um. This kind of goes into the what genre was this movie in trying to go for category because I, I couldn't figure it out. The, the story a thriller, it, a romantic yeah. thriller. I, I get and was it trying to be a slasher too, kind of? I, I feel like they had three different screenwriters come on. They had the guy who wished he would have been around to write, you know, Spencer Tracy movies. Yes. And they had the the lifetime. Uh, hallmark film writer who wrote the love story and then you had the guy who did punch-ups on like friday the 13th yes. come through and each of them got into a room they picked up a different section of the script they made some edits they had a huge coke party put them all together and then handed it over to good old anson to take it to set that's really what it felt like and i wonder what what uh anson williams right he's the guy who directed it yeah i wonder what his how he got the gig like, who's like, oh, this guy. I, like, I wonder if he was like vying for it. Like, I, I really need to direct this. I have a hey. vision. <laughs> like, hey, did you hear about that? That uh, they, they had a potsy from uh, Happy Days. He's got this movie. He's bringing it to us. Yeah, in an wow. office in Warner Brothers somewhere. Is that how they got Christopher Walken? Maybe. Maybe. Actually, I don't even know why I said Warner Brothers. This was definitely not touched by any major studio. That I, <laughs> I was going to ask, what, what was the plan with this movie? It was released directly to video in 1991. Yep. Was the direct-to-video market like really big at the time? 
You know, uh, there was a lot of video going on in the 80s and 90s. V- you know, VHS was, I wouldn't say it's brand new, but it's relatively new at the period of time. You know, yeah. everything was, you know, everybody was having one by then. They were accessible. And um, yeah. and I think that's just where fucking movies went to to die after somebody had already spent a bunch of money on it, you know. Enchantment Pictures, Greenwich Films, and Trimark Pictures had all sunk their shit into this. And then they saw what they got. And they said, well, you know, how do you put some lipstick on a pig? Put a cool cover on it. Put Christopher Walken's name at the top. He did just win an Oscar, you know, and uh, let's put it in, put it in the stores and see if it goes off the shelves. And uh, I don't think it did. So I I feel like Christopher Walken shot all of his scenes in like two days. I wouldn't be surprised if that's exactly how they did it, because his costume looked immaculate. It was the exact same for being over the course of 24 hours. Yeah. Yep. You're um, right. It was he played like, basketball and did all sorts of stuff and he just kept wearing it. So I don't know. I'll be in your movie, but I had to play basketball. <laughs> Put it in there. <laughs> Can yeah. I sing a song? I yeah. want to sing at least a line. Two. <laughs> okay. Okay. What was his what was his motivation again for like deciding to give Artie like 24 hours to prove his innocence? I have no idea. The judge pulled strings. He got, look, none of this is supposed to make sense. So I think we just answered the story question. (laughs) The motivations clearly aren't there. His his judge father pulled the strings. They had to kick him loose. And the other two Bert and Ernie cops are, you know, doing their own investigation because apparently they were buddies with Decker. Then they're like, fuck you, Decker. We're going to do our own thing because you want the credit. You know what their investigation consisted of? uh, Harassing and getting a false statement, right? (laughs) Just from that another like uh, sorority chick. That's yeah. literally what their investigation was. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't think they did anything else. Speaking about that, th- this brings up a question that I have uh, in making sense. So mm-hmm. they did a, a real annoying cheap trick in this that you don't notice until you see the end and then you realize what the, you know, the, the twist is. But along the way, you see two or three times there's a third person watching someone's watching him Mm -hmm. and then makes you think it's the killer right Mm -hmm. well when we finish the movie and we know she's the killer who the fuck was watching him i don't know that's my yeah i don't know oh you mean like in that opening shot the the, one of the first scenes where they're at like the cemetery yeah like at the cemetery they're there (laughs) now i guess it could be argued it was the creepy maintenance guy that was in the basement of the sorority house which is weird because the sorority house apparently has a massively huge basement like an industrial park yeah that looked Uh, like freddy krueger's basement it was exactly like big pipes (laughs) boiler room stuff and then you have this guy who who lives in a in a in a corner like dude osha has to have so, some sort of situation there that is yes. not a safe place to to use as a domicile where are the the protection rules here um i don't know but but uh that scene where he got drilled in the head can you imagine being the uh <laughs> okay first you have to imagine that this is tally pretty petite blonde-haired all-american girl tally that's committing all of these crimes after you find that out at the end you gotta imagine back and see that she's the one doing it like she got a power drilling just as like drilling into the guy's head <laughs> like i don't know it's kind of crazy to think about her I, yeah i really haven't thought about this but going back and thinking about all the crazy things that she had to have done yeah knowing the ending is kind of it's kind of bizarre who was the girl that got burned at the beginning well they they, they cover that very quickly at the end 
where he's, uh, you know, of course, you have to give the main star, you have to give Artie Logan his chance to to do the full cop routine, right? Oh, he's yes. the one who grabs her after yes. the knife shot out of her hand. He grabs her, restrains her. He's like, and he does the final exposition as the hero, as the real cop just yes. watches. And he's like, <laughs> yeah, you're right, kid. That was perfect. And, and, you know, here he is. It's like, you found, you went around and you found the perfect person who looked just like you. And then you put your watch in her and then you bird her. <laughs> and you just to preserve your, your image of Hulsa. It was like, what the? F- okay. Yeah. Look. So the- why would she kill herself? Like, because her you own know, death? It's, I, I, I get, here's the thing. I had to really dig deep to understand the motivation. I get it. I'm not saying it's good, but I get it. She didn't want to be this perfect person. It was oh, yeah. too much pressure, too much That's work. Right. And you get that from the jock friend of hers who was the yeah. perfect guy. He gives that whole... Who got nicked by a knife but died. Exactly. And just like a little... <laughs> step, step. And then... Yeah. Um, and that's what it is. She wanted to leave that life of perfection and start again, but she needed to keep the image of perfection clean and pristine because she'd given so much already. And so fuck it. I'll kill five people if that's what it takes. Yeah. Um, you know what? Look, again, not a great thing, but I get it. I, I just, you know. You know what I was thinking of when I was watching this movie? I was thinking of my my first really shitty screenplay that I ever wrote. And it was bringing me to, it was making me feel like I'm so glad that, that you know, no one's ever seen that because it's about, about as bad as this. It's uh, <laughs> nothing really makes sense. Motivation isn't fully understood. You like have to do wraparound logic to kind of like make it make sense. You're like, oh, yeah, I guess. Like, sure. I'll kill five people just to save face. Um, you know, something else that was really kind of bizarre was the gratuitous like sex wrestling scene. Like near the end. Oh, you're talking about when you see the the thing, the moments in the hotel. Yes. Yeah, when you're seeing how how the good kids would actually cut loose, they'd go to the next town over. Yeah, they would cut loose. They do a bunch of blow. They'd rent a hooker. Rent whatever whatever people do hey. with hookers. I don't, I don't know. If you, rent, you get a hooker, and then they would just have like this weird orgy. Um, that was like the the. It reminded me of the the outtakes from American Psycho. Yes. <laughs> Oh my gosh. It was so weird. I was like, is this, is this meant to be, was this like a, what was happening in the early nineties? What other movies or or things were happening in the early nineties, late eighties that were like, could inspire this, like, uh, let's throw that in there. I felt there was tinges of, um, like of a basic instinct. Yeah. Um, then, which was interesting because that's 92. So that came out after this movie. Um, there was again, the American psycho thing, which, uh, I know that movie came out later, I believe in 99 or so. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know when the book came out. Good um, point. so maybe inspired that, by the book <laughs> actually, sorry, that was 2000. So yeah, there's things about it, but I feel like this was just late eighties, early nineties in a sh- in a nutshell. It was like the sort of work you'd see from Joe Asteris or Esther Haas, however you pronounce his name. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, or the work of Paul Verhoeven, maybe some of the fringe Paul Schrader stuff, even though Schrader's is usually pretty good. It's like at least more ground, you know, grounded, but it's like still edgy. I don't know. It's just a weird time. This is a weird time. Yeah. This is Especially the, to make a movie like this, that you're the people who were producing it. So and it was like, 
I guess this is going to like Blockbuster <laughs> directly <laughs> to Blockbuster. We're not going to do anything with this. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say how you mentioned screenwriting and, and a screenplay. So you're familiar with Save the Cat, right? Yes. So you know how this guy actually had a Save the Cat moment, except in this, I call it the Save the Pomeranian moment. Oh, my god. Where gosh. inexplicably, the tiny little dog falls into a fountain, <laughs> which he's perfectly fine because the dog is swimming. You can yes, see the dog battling. Does. And he jumps into this wishing well pond, you know, tiny little fountain to save this dog. It's like a foot deep. Yeah. It just jumps and so he much. just like gets himself entirely soaked when all he really needed to do was kind of lean in and pick up the dog hey, everything about there. this movie is excessive <laughs> you know he he speaks in hyperbole everything of everything is larger oh, yeah. than life so he was like a smart aleck like encyclopedia brown kind of kid i don't know just oh and you know that was also weird about his character he got moved to this new town and this new school but his little apartment is like fully furnished and it looks well lived in for someone who just moved to a new school it does it's very it's very cozy and all i'm wondering is is this on campus is this off campus because that is some nice housing and wait a minute isn't he there to go to school yeah he doesn't have a fucking class He's just no one ever goes to class. Again. Oh, wait, he goes to wait outside Tally's class. Yeah, and they like do that weird weirdo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was the other thing. I kept thinking, oh, I know what's going to happen. This is going to be like one of those weird subversive movies where you get to watch it from the perspective of the murderer. Like, he's the murderer. I thought yeah. somehow it was going to be like weird Hitchcockian. Like, I gave it way too much credit. My I, my expectations were way too high. I thought, oh, you're going to watch him like murder someone for for Tally and then have to cover it up. And then, you know, it was going to be like a weird thing like that. No, he's, it's more boring than that. And um, the other thing that struck, struck out about one of the big things, li- literally big, was like she walks out of her sorority house in the evening and he's outside and standing on top of his VW with this ginormous painting yes. to like present to her. And I was like, how the heck did he get that there? And, and did he just have it lying around somewhere to give to someone? What did she do with it? I know. I, I love again. He's he's because he's got to be the quippy dude. He's like, I, I got you a little something to hang on a wall. Yes. And it's literally an eight foot by eight foot, not even just a canvas. It's like mounted. It's on something sturdy and standing up. And it's three feet, four feet taller than his VW. So, yes, it does beg the question. How did he get that there? Did he strap it to the roof like a big mama and papa's pizza? Yes. Like, I don't know. How did he do that? What was the most bizarre thing in this movie to you? Oh, that's a really, really great question. Um, I okay, actually, I'm gonna take a cheap out on this and okay. tell you, and I'm actually gonna show you, and I will be posting this on the Instagram, this little clip. The nice. weirdest thing for me, I don't know if you caught this. If if you blink, you'll miss it. Is when we're coming back into his apartment before we discover that Decker is waiting inside for him. He comes inside, and I want you to look in the bottom left corner of the screen. Okay. Right there. Oh. Who the fuck is that? (laughs) Who is that? You have a crewman sitting right there staring at the wall. What were were they supposed to do? Are they like a gaffer? I don't know. They're not holding a light. They're not holding. They're not doing anything. He's just sitting there. And the funny thing is, he's he looks right at him. 
And he's like, I'm going to pretend I didn't see you. <laughs> he's like, down here. Uh, yeah. Put my Polaroid's down. And then you that's it. You never see him again. Yeah. I'm so glad you caught that. That is yeah. a blink and you'll miss a moment. But, but that's so great. And you're right. He the Artie makes eye contact with a guy like, okay, I'll keep acting as I, <laughs> this person's in the room with yeah. me. <laughs> But to, to answer your question, what was the most bizarre thing? Is that how you phrased yeah. it? Yeah, but like a bizarre thing that was intended to be in there, unlike a, a crew member that's just come. Right, out. yeah. So the most bizarre <laughs> thing for me, it, it, this is hard. I'm just going to go ahead and say that because there's so many little bizarre things for me to pick. <laughs> I think the whole thing about the videotape and the the girl who was clearly, she was not Kappa material or yeah, whatever. Windy. Like the videotape there and how that, all started from stealing a tiny little clock. Okay. <laughs> that one thing suddenly propelled this entire plot in the motion. I was like crushing on the, I was crushing on Tally. So I like followed her around just so I could be more like her. And I just happened to, like, she's creepily following Tally too. Like, everyone creepily follows Tally. And then yep. these things. Oh, oh, sorry. The other thing that gets me. So, you know, the, the incriminating Polaroids, right? They talk yes. about how they would go out to these places together and then get a hooker. Who took the pictures? Well, uh, those were not them? selfies. <laughs> there was all three people in the fo- in the Polaroids. Who took the Polaroids? Why would they take the Polaroids when they knew what that meant? Why do these Polaroids Why? exist? I don't know. Do this these is the big issue. Exist? Were they, who was, your, oh, was, was it the creepy uh plumber dude or whatever the boiler room guy was he the one who took the pictures you know what he had them maybe it was but no those were in her drawer she had them oh you're right they're in her drawer. because otherwise i mean uh, yeah sure conceivably he could have been but then those pictures that's a polaroid <laughs> there's no telephoto you have to be in the room <laughs> i know so who was in the room and why would they say this is great you know what hey i'm living this real real pious life everything's going great but I'm going to live on a wire's edge by keeping some really incriminating shit just within reach. Maybe that was part of the thrill. <laughs> but then that, that you, that still doesn't answer the question of who's the fourth person in the room or and who is, and you know what, maybe we'll never know. Perhaps if we had the actual Polaroids, we could do some of that CSI enhancement stuff and yeah. see a reflection in a glass, but we'll oh, never yeah. know. Uh, what, what about you? What was the most bizarre thing for you? Uh, it's it's got to be the 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 snake wrapping around the lady's neck and killing her. Yeah, Jean's wife. I I did not expect that. I saw the snake in the passenger seat. And I said, "Oh no, there's the snake there. Is is she gonna get bit by this snake and then die, or you know, or something like that?" No, it wasn't as simple as just having her be bit by a poisonous snake. It was some kind of snap cut or something to make it look like the snake <laughs> was wrapping around her neck, and then she was choking there with the snake around her neck. The snake was, it's not even a boa constrictor. I don't even think, I don't know. It was the most bizarre thing. Oh, and the, and the one line by the other police officer when they were looking at that burned up body and he was like, he said something like, um, uh, it's a, uh, this is a a bad case of college burnout or something like that. Talk about one liners. There's so many one liners. Oh, this whole thing is, it's just. It's just chock full of them. Chock full of them. Oh, I thought of one more thing. Bizarre. Oh, yes. mm-hmm. I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but the oh. other bizarre scene, the grenade to the nuts. <laughs> the grenade. Yes, I was thinking about that. That grenade to, <laughs> yeah, it's, um, that was especially brutal. 
I love the cutaway. So you think, oh, okay, well, that's that's all there's going to be. And then later you do get that brief yes. flash to this something right out of a Clive Barker movie. Yes. Yeah. That's what it looked like. <laughs> to, to What happens is one of the characters, the Dean himself, actually, spoiler alert, is working out like in his home gym or something. Someone just kind of like chains his neck to like the machine or something. Like, yeah, like they put hang. a little collar on him. Yeah. Yeah. And then. And then produces a grenade out of nowhere, you know, triggers it or something, pulls open his pants and drops it in and walks away. I just don't understand why he didn't let go of the, the maybe maybe that's what it was. Maybe there was a weird cut where the chain was actually put around the weight and then put around oh. his neck. So he couldn't let go of the bar because if he did, then he would choke. Because I was oh, wondering why didn't he yeah. grab the grenade with his hands? But that that doesn't make you don't need to. You shouldn't make your audience have to figure this shit out No. How did Tally get a grenade? Yeah, that's even <laughs> yeah, did she know? Did she know an arms dealer, some sort of illicit munitions specialist? I don't know. Well, let's move on to our final section here. The WTF factor. This is probably the most important ingredient in the subversive sauce. And I we've already touched on so, so, so many pieces that fall into this. Yeah, you're so, right. <clears throat> Let's just, or, you know, re revisit that. So the pacing is weird. That's one of those. It's like hyperspeed yep. audiobook in the beginning. And then it's this like really drawn out, you know, yeah. whodunit thriller thing. Uh, it's like they just could not wait to start getting to that, you know, the dialogue mm -hmm. itself. I mean, with such gems as, do you play any sports? Yeah, I run the <laughs> bath, catch a cold. I jump to conclusions. I'm good at all those. <laughs> or, or I do respect you. That's why I kissed you. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> they sent me to Jokers. You must be the ace. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> there's so many things. Okay, so the dialogue there's there, and then of course there's the, you know Walken. Walken is just it, you put him in anything, you immediately get a bunch of saucy points. Period. Oh yeah, absolutely. and then of course the wavering tonality of the the film and the plot that's you know kind of makes sense if you squint at it and look in the opposite direction. Um, what else do you think is really adding into the WTF for you? Um, I think what it was, was it, it felt so much like a, a TV show to me, like one of those early 90s procedural like mystery shows, like um, a, a Murder, She Wrote, a Columbo, maybe the early days of Diagnosis Murder. I kept because the film quality and everything looked like that but then they kept like dropping the f-bomb like they they said the f-word so many times i couldn't even keep it was almost like they were like having a contest with themselves to see how many times they could drop it in there and yeah that was just so bizarre to me i was like watching this and going what is this i really want to know who made this movie i i want to know the the making of this movie which i'm sure is like as interesting as the movie itself I, I guarantee that there are sordid tales galore about the, the, the making of this. And man, if, if we could pick their brains. Is this one of those memorable. movies that has kind of developed a cult following since? <clears throat> you know, it, it has to some degree. I don't think it's as widespread as it should be, which is why I wanted to, you know, feature it on our premiere Got episode it. here. Yeah. Um, look, this movie is crazy. It's all over the fucking place. Is it great? Not not in the traditional sense, no. but it's because of that that everyone needs to watch it. The WTF factor is pretty off the charts in this one. Um, so while Dan and I deliberate on um, 
on how how saucy the sauce is, I'm going to let you hear Mr. Walken himself do a little singing. Feelings, nothing more than feelings. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I would tell you, uh, you know, Dan, on a scale of one to five on uh, in sauciness and spiciness, I, I have to give this one like a solid four. Yeah, I got to give this a solid four. Yeah, this one, four. this one, you'll get some of this sauce on your shirt when you're done watching this one, man. <laughs> it's uh, it's something special. It's something if, special. If you're really paying attention while you're watching this, all the lights out in the room, and this is like the only thing you're focusing on, you're going to be going what what is happening why is this happening why is this kid able to like running back and forth across this college campus all night long why are these police officers just popping in and out of the shots like like uh the genie from aladdin it was like weird where are they coming from yeah it's it's a it's a really bizarre movie yeah it, can you imagine the stage play version oh my god <laughs> purely Chekhovian. Purely check off. <laughs> well, everybody, make sure you get a chance to check out All American Murder, starring Christopher Walken. Uh, it is out on Blu-ray through a company called Vinegar Syndrome, and it's got a lot of great uh, special features. You will not regret it. So, you know, level four sauciness. I want to thank my friend and colleague Dan for coming on today and helping break the proverbial bottle on the hull of this rickety rickety ship that is just setting sail into destinations unknown uh, but one thing that is for sure you'll always find harbor with some pretty weird movies here with me on subversive cinema if you enjoyed the show make sure you leave us a review and a five-star rating at your preferred podcast provider Tell a friend so they can check it out too. And follow us on Instagram at subversive underscore cinema for more content. Subversive cinema.